On this episode of our podcast, we focus on what California's sweeping new stay-at-home order means for San Diego County's restaurant scene. Once again, dining rules have changed due to the pandemic, so we will break down those latest changes for you. Joining our conversation today is Jason McLeod, chef partner of CH Projects, which operates some of San Diego's most high-profile restaurants, including Born and Raised, Ironside, and Morning Glory. Jason will speak with us about what the stay-at-home order means for a big operation like CH Projects and how the company's eateries will shift and adapt over the next few weeks, a time when, really, in a non-pandemic world, San Diego's restaurants are usually very busy with big holiday crowds, parties, and banquets. You know, we are somewhere up around two, 650 employees in March. You know, now we're about 240 employees. You are listening to our Scene in San Diego podcast. Hi, Candice. Hey, Monica. Hi, it's so good to virtually see you. It's been so long. I know, it's great to see you too. And so much has happened since then. I know, it's crazy. It almost doesn't even feel, it's just a lot. We're going to get right into it. The last time we recorded, San Diego County was heading into the purple tier, California's most restrictive category for counties within the state's blueprint for reopening during the pandemic. In that tier, restaurants had to stop all indoor dining again. They were able to offer three things, though, under the purple tier, and that was outdoor dining, pickup or takeout, and delivery service. And a curfew also went into effect under the purple tier for people and businesses. So from 10 p.m. to 5 a.m. daily, that curfew was in place. And then last week on December 3rd, more change, right? Yes, big, big changes. California Governor Gavin Newsom said the state would impose a limited stay-at-home order on certain regions if that region's capacity in their hospital ICUs fell below 15%. Stop gathering with people outside of your household to do what you can to keep most of your activities outside and, of course, always uh, most important non-pharmaceutical intervention, that is wear face coverings, wear a mask. And then on December 4th, the Southern California region, which San Diego is grouped into, got there. The drop continued on December 5th when ICU bed capacity in Southern California fell to 12.5%. Goodness. Okay, so so this triggered a three-week stay-at-home order, which went into effect at 11.59 p.m. on December 6th. And this order will last until at least December 28th. And under this stay-at-home order all on-site dining, all of it, at San Diego restaurants is closed. Restaurants can only remain open for takeout, pickup, and delivery. That's it. Yeah, a lot of restaurants were sort of trying to squeeze in some last-minute outdoor dining over the past weekend. And yeah, and really they were trying to figure out what they're going to do with their employees and with their restaurants and with the payroll. And oh my goodness, it's just a lot of moving parts that they've got to figure out again. And this is coming down right before the holidays, which makes it really heartbreaking for a lot of these business owners. Yeah, it really is so sad. Um, So what will life really be like for San Diego restaurants over the next few weeks, Candice? I mean, what are you hearing from some of your local contacts in the local restaurant scene? Well, it's going to be hard. Again, it's a lot of shifting. It's a lot of disappointment, uncertainty. You know, it's just a lot all around. 
Well, um, on that note, we're going to take you into our conversation with Jason from CH Project so we can hear what all of this is really like for people in San Diego's restaurant industry. It'll be nice to hear from somebody who's impacted on the daily by this and we can kind of, uh, you know, talk with Jason about what he's going to do next. Let's go right into that. Thank you so much again for joining us today uh, to talk a little bit about what's going on in San Diego and with the restaurant industry. There's a lot going on. So uh, we're talking to you just after the new stay-at-home order has been implemented um, in San Diego County and Southern California, really the region. Uh, What's the status of your restaurants right now? Is everything open? Are you guys doing takeout and delivery at all those places or, or what's going on? No, so we pretty much closed them all down except for we have a ramen um, concept, which is called Underbelly. Two of those locations are staying open for takeout. And then uh, Fortunate Sun, which is a Chinese-American restaurant that we actually opened during the pandemic, uh, is staying open for takeout as well. And they're partnering with Polite Provisions, our bar next door to nice. Fortunate Sun's. And we're going to do to-go cocktails and stuff like that. But the other restaurants... Um, we shut them down. So today we're going through the paperwork with employees, kind of cleaning them out and then looking to see what that all brings up. But chances are we won't do a lot of takeout type food at the restaurants. It's just, it's a lot of effort and a lot of things to do. If you're not really ready for it, by the time we buy all the to-go containers and all things that go with it, I think what we're going to do is look at kind of meal kits, um, a little bit more like that sells, you know, sell some meat from born and raised or fish with the fishermen, and kind of work towards that program a little bit more. Um, and then maybe come up with like a, you know, a holiday menu where people can pre-order um, and stuff like that. Um, but mostly for us, you know, we're kind of going dark in the restaurants that don't do a lot of takeout. And then any of our chefs that, you know, um, in each store will kind of work on new menus or recipe development kind of on their own and, and kind of stuff like that. And Hopefully when we reopen, you know, we'll be ready for that with new menus and new things that people can get excited about and, and kind of move forward. Is that, um, you know, obviously you've, you've gone through a few iterations of shutdowns, you know, since the start of the pandemic. What, what, what does it take to sort of shift, you know, shift down and then reopen again? And is your choice to kind of keep your places dark because it is just, you know, maybe too much effort to you know, pause things for a couple weeks and then restart? And Yeah, I mean, this one was a little bit different. Um, the first one obviously was, you know, we were running at 100% back in March and had no idea the shutdown was coming. So, you know, it was just full on one day, close the next. And I think we lost, you know, somewhere in the upwards of $300,000 in food inventory alone. Um, not lost isn't thrown out. Obviously, we gave it to our employees and, and all that kind of thing. So that was great. But really, we're still paying that dead off um, now. And I think this time we, you know, there was much more, you know, kind of rumors and anticipation that this closure was going to happen. Um, So we really instructed the teams to kind of stay tight and not order much and run it out. And come Sunday when we finally did, you know, when the announcement was, you know, confirmed that we were going to close Sunday night, we really were out of food. Um, We were down to some pretty scraps to kind of keep it going. And some of the places closed a little bit earlier because we just ran out of food. Um, so that helped a little bit because obviously then we're not, you know, held to all this inventory that is expensive and, you know, and, and that's a big cost for us obviously to kind of keep doing that. So that helped a lot. So that was a little bit different. 
Um, and, you know, we're about 40% of the employees we had back in March as well. So it's not such a huge turn. I think, you know, we were somewhere up around two, 650 employees in March. You know, now we're about 240 employees. So that shift was a little bit easier to navigate this time in some ways. If, you know, there's a silver lining that we could get in front of it real quick and kind of be more prepared for it. Yeah. We also knew that this could happen months ago that, you know, we weren't sure if we were out of the clear or not. And we really spoke with our staff about just being smart about their money. Like, you know, cause we were fortunate when we were reopened, we were busy as busy as we could be. We were that. And so our employees that were working, you know, were probably making as much money or pretty close to what they were pre-closure, which was great. Um, but, you know, so we just said, look, be prepared, like put some money away because this is going to happen again. We really felt that, that we weren't out of the woods. And so, you know, we have such amazing people that work for us. We're so fortunate that, you know, hopefully they took that advice and they really prepared for it too. And, you know, just seeing the kind of, you know, the mentality of the employees over the weekend, the last, you know, 48 hours when it really was official, I mean, they worked right to the very end with smiles and, you know, and, and, and give every guest an amazing experience. And I think for them, it wasn't so uncertain as it was back in March, because back in March, we had no idea what was going on. Nobody did. And we didn't know if it was going to be a week closure, a year closure. Is this it? Like, so I think that now is a little bit different, you know, because we kind of know we know how to pivot the staff know how to pivot. And I think we kind of have some ideas on how it all works. So I think to me, that's the biggest difference between the two times for sure. Yeah. We've almost gotten used to the uncertainty, you know, like mentally all of us in our professional and personal lives, I feel like that you're right. We can just kind of like, okay, what do we have to do to make it through this one? You know? Yeah. That's what I'm most proud about. Our industry is we're resilient and, Look, yeah, we are going to lose a lot of restaurants, and I don't think that will happen yet. Um, I closure obviously will be very hard on a few, um, but I, you know, where we'll see the biggest damage is April, May, June next year when, depending on how the reopen happenings and when it happens, you know, like it, it's going to be hard because now it's a year of running at you know twenty to thirty percent when you average it all out. And, and look, and it's not a poor me story. It's just look, our business is hard to make a penny, and and you know when you have stuff. And, you know, we obviously have some amazing landlords who have helped us out, but eventually they also have bills and we have families that own our buildings. Some are bigger corporations. It all depends. It's a little bit different. So it, it starts wearing everybody eventually. And there's a lot of people that are touched by our industry that, you know, people don't think about. We talk about restaurant workers, restaurant workers, but, you know, fishermen and meat buyers and vegetable farmers and, you know, uh, you know, dry goods suppliers, people that supply our periods. I mean, we have small companies that put that, so then speaks about that are connected to our industry that, you know, now it's been long on them as well. So it, it is trying to find that balance and, and understanding, you know, kind of where we're at, you know, and, you know, last time, you know, the PPP came out and all these kind of programs that were there and loans that we could get, but you know, I had people make comments to me, well, just get a loan. Well, sure, that's fine. Loans are great. That helps us survive now, but we have to pay that loan back. It's not, yeah. you know, so eventually, you know, there's only so much money that came to the bottom line in a restaurant. Now you're adding loans on top of that. And we were fortunate where we didn't have loans or investors or we were you know, lucky that way that we didn't have that. Now we're having to take on some of that debt mm-hmm. and then make sure that we do get those doors reopened and, and keep it going. Yeah. You've uh, detailed a lot of the challenges, Jason, just, you know, that I think so many companies like this are facing right now. Um, what would you say has been 
the biggest challenge or challenges of the last nine months? I mean, is it pulling back your staff? Is it, you know, just kind of staying on your toes and figuring out what comes next or, or what, you know? I think for, I think it's a couple answers for me without any personally, it's, it's being the positive uh, reinforcement for our employees. Cause you know, me, I always, you know, to me, a leader is someone who's calm, no matter what's going on, whether it's excitement, depression, like whatever the ebb and flows of what we do in life. And to me, a great leader kind of stays as calm through those ups and downs because we have a lot of people look up to that leader. So for me, it's, it's, trying to keep the game face on and that face calm that, you know, I don't want them to look at me and if I'm panicking, well then that's going to send a ripple effect down through our staff. And look, we asked them to come to work, you know, in a different environment where there was a lot of controversy. Should we be working? Should we not be working? Are we safe? Are we not safe? And, you know, we were very clear that no one had to work and if someone felt unsafe, well, we'll deal with that as well. They came back and worked so, and they did it with a smile and they did it with us and they did it. So that to me is the big thing. I, I think the hardest thing, you know, as a group, you know, not so individual based is just really having to be on your toes more. Uh, and, you know, you feel for the staff because you know the difficult situation, you know, you know, you're dealing with guests still that, are demanding. They are still paying top dollar to eat at our restaurants. We didn't lower prices. You know, we didn't give discounts because, you know, so we still had to keep up those standards and people expected that. And in general, most guests obviously were in full. Um, so really making sure we ended that every employee was going through this a little bit different. You know, everyone handled it a little bit different. Some people were completely okay with it. Others were good for a week and then they got nervous. And then, so it was trying to find them it's like, how do we lift individual up and really understanding that it's an individual that's going through this? Yeah, yeah the spectrum is so wide on the levels of comfort yeah. of everyone during this time. You really don't know what you're going to get when you speak with someone, you know? Yeah, absolutely. You know, and, it's, and I think that's it's, it's the hardest thing and making sure we stick close because, you know, people have sacrificed not seeing their families and because they have to work and they know that they're around a lot of people and contact with a lot of people and, they have elderly parents or a sick uncle or a young child. And so it's, it's, you know, and, and everyone has that different backstory and, you know, and some people are okay. They're just single, live in their own home and they can go to work and they're not as worried because they have less contact. And, yeah. but it's really making sure that we dove deep into each individual and finding out what their story was. Hmm. Um, you, you're someone who has a lot of, you know, restaurant contacts all over the country and, you know, you used to work in Chicago and, I wonder if you, since, you know, you've been observing sort of what the nation is going through in terms of the industry, are there things like advantages or disadvantages that you can identify that are specific to operating a restaurant in San Diego versus another city? I mean, obviously the weather gives us an edge, but have there been other things that like, you know, San Diego has, um, you know, enabled restaurants to do or maybe hindered them? Yeah, I, I think obviously the weather was the biggest luxury we have in San Diego. I mean, unfortunately, we don't get to take advantage of it because we're closed now. And, you know, weather's 75 degrees as always, and it's beautiful. So that was always the biggest advantage I think we had. Um, I think for us, um, I, I'm not 100%, but I'm pretty positive. Like San Diego pivoted pretty quickly in letting us go outdoor. Um, and get those patios and the parking lot, like the parking spaces used up. So 
I think that San Diego pivoted quicker than most cities. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was some leeway for restaurants, you know, and, and I know that a lot of my restaurant friends are very frustrated with their city officials and such, but we, we're heavy in Little Italy and Little Italy Association has been just incredible in supporting, you know, restaurants. They really have weekly updates of what they're doing to help. You know, uh, the Taste of Little Italy, which is a, an event where you go to each restaurant and taste the things every year. Well, they pivoted and they did a to-go Taste of Little Italy this year that we could sell the food and help us generate revenue. Um, so we're really fortunate, you know, to have that support, especially in Little Italy. But I do think that the overarching message that I kind of see from friends around, you know, the country and the world is, we've been pretty fortunate in San Diego to get a lot of support from our mayors and and such. And I do feel that, you know, and look, I don't, no one knows the answer, you know, and it's easy to sometimes push blame onto whoever, but I don't think anyone really knows the answer. And, you know, I don't think anyone is trying to make the right decision, but, you know, I, I I think restaurants are low hanging fruit and we're, we're easy to shut down because we just don't have, we're all individuals in a lot of ways. And, But I do think we're pretty fortunate in San Diego. I I think we've had a lot of support. Um, We felt like we were supported pretty strongly by, you know, even the health department, you know, was really supportive of us. You know, they would help us walk through like, you know, how to, when we first reopened with all the the sanitizing and the wiping and and they were very supportive, you know, it wasn't like they were coming in to find us at fault. They were, they came in to help us make sure we were okay and make sure our guests were okay. Um, so we didn't have a breakout in our restaurants and we, we didn't have a breakout in any of our restaurants and we were, you know, and, and I don't think there was many, there's a few restaurants I heard of, but we were very fortunate. And, and I think that those partnerships to me, I think were really strong and I'm not sure that was happening all over the country. Mm. Yeah. So Jason, considering that restaurants uh, will still be under some kind of restrictions, probably for you know a few more months here. I don't, I don't. You yeah. know, the level of those is still to be determined, of course. Um, but are you guys thinking about creating like more outdoor dining spaces at CH projects projects down the line? Like if if outdoor dining is able to spring back in a few weeks or a few months or something like that? Well, I, I think most of our places are. are- we built a lot of it now like all our places are up and running or, or could be up and running with outdoor patio um so i think we're in pretty good shape as soon as they say go like we're ready to go and, and we feel the same way that it will be in tiers again it'll probably be outdoor dining to start see how that goes and maybe back to 20 percent or 25 percent um but we're pretty fortunate now and my business par- partner arson tavazzoli is you know very um meticulous about design you know, as people see our places and well, he's the same when he builds our patios, you know, there's a lot of thought that went into our patios. It wasn't just, you know, throwing some tents out there and, you know, getting some cheap chairs Like he invested in the structures. And that's another cost that I think a lot of people don't realize that, you know, I, people, t- even friends of mine say, well, just dine outside. Just, you know, I said, well, yeah, it's not as easy. There's still things you have to buy yeah. to do that. We had to invest in our outdoor dining as well. And so, that is an investment. So I, I think that we're pretty maxed out at, mo- at most of our places to kind of capitalize on outdoor dining and outdoor dining alone, you know, obviously with the, the lucky with weather we have, we were actually, we felt that we could sustain, you know, enough sales to kind of get us through this without going deep into debt and employ as many people as we can. So we were pretty fortunate with that, that we maximize our outdoor dining as much as possible for sure. 
That's, That's good. At least the foundation's built. So, you know, when, when that part comes back in, in the tiered areas, you know, you'll be able to hopefully just go right back into it, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. So we feel good about that now because obviously those were things that we were doing the first time as well. Like we were, we couldn't get outdoor dining right away because we didn't have anywhere for anyone to sit. So we had to kind of get those structures up and running. So we maybe lost a few weeks depending on what location. So if, and when this does happen, we'll be ready to go right away. And I think that's another thing that kind of gives us, you know, um, some faith that, you know, we'll be much more ready this time to get back up and running. It took us a while to get up and running and, you know, it's, it's, it's not easy opening, you know, nine spots, you know, at one time, it's hard enough opening one restaurant, you know, at a time, but opening nine and trying to stagger them and do it right. But this time we've told managers and chefs, be ready because we're opening all of them the same day because we need to get the doors back open. But we staggered them probably for about six weeks the first time. And that costs money again with training and retraining and all the things that go with it. So, but this time we feel we've been preparing for this moment the last four or five months. And I think that we are much better shape to, to kind of relaunch next time for sure. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. Um, If we can talk about Morning Glory for a minute, which was one of five San Diego restaurants that sort of got recognition from the Michelin Guide this year in lieu of them putting out uh, a California edition. I I wonder, you know, just in the midst of all this and the pandemic, what do awards mean do they still have meaning and are you see, do you still see impact from them or is that kind of just, uh, um, I'm not sure about the impact. I, I'm kind of, I've kind of lost my way on the impact of awards. You know, I do think there are awards that do still, I think it's less now, but I do this one for me, I think was pretty special because it was, it, it announced in such a tough time mm-hmm that it gave real energy to the team. So I I think whether we've got more business out of it or not, I'm not really sure. We were pretty fortunate with Morning Glory with being still pretty new and still kind of the hot place to go get breakfast. And, you know, Max, you know, we didn't have a lot of seats, so we were maxing out on seating. But what it did for the morale of the team this time was really special. And I think that I got goosebumps just talking about it. And I I think that to me was the thing that made this announcement so special. And I think because they, you know, they were a breakfast place that was recognized by typically an award, you know, or a rating that didn't really rate breakfast places that often and, and, or ever if I maybe. And so I think it was just the timing of it, the kind of what it was. And it, it kind of was this perfect storm, I guess, in a way of this, perfect moment to announce it so it impacted our team probably more than it impacted sales would be my guess Mm -hmm. um and i think that to me made it extra special yeah that's great that's really nice um and you know of course places like morning glory you know born and raised those those are head turners people love those those places are head turners there's no other way to put it really you know Um, Are you still running those restaurants with an eye on that, you know, local and national recognition that you guys have been receiving? Or really at this point, is it more about just surviving the day to day, you know, staying the course and making sure you guys can can stay afloat? Yeah, I I think it's, you know, even backing up a little bit, Candace knows this better than anyone is, you know, we battled with that 
in our world even before COVID. And, you know, look, we love San Diego and our ultimate goal is to see San Diego grow in the culinary world, the restaurant world and have respect. And it's a city that struggled for respect a lot, you know, and Candace and I spoke about this a lot. So we were always, you know, in the end, we were fighting for this national recognition. And, and then we pivoted again and we're like, you know what, does it really matter? You know, at the end of the day, look, if people in San Diego support us, there's enough people here to support our restaurants. We see it. We've opened a lot of them. We have a lot of seats and people still come out. Um, so we've even pivoted a little bit, you know, and, and I do think that, yeah, it is survival right now, but look, the survival, if we didn't have that local following, you know, that we do have, we wouldn't be surviving because there's no tourists coming, you know, and I think that's pretty cool. And I think that's a pretty special thing for us to really realize that, you know, we, hopefully we have made an impact on the city and the locals do support us. And we feel they are because our restaurants continue to be busy even down when tourists was down and there was no conventions coming to the city and there was no, you know, um, Comic-Con or whatever these masks, Cruise you know. ships, all that. Yeah. Stuff. So, yeah. you know, and so without those locals, you know, we may not have survived. And I think that to me is, it's pretty special. So I think, yeah, I, I it, we've always battled with it, you know, a little bit of maybe a little bit of ego too, but I do think that, you know, if we really looked at it now, like, those locals saved our businesses and, you know, we cannot be more, you know, happy for that. Yeah. That's great. And when, and when you weren't, (laughs) when you weren't looking for it, then Michelin, bam, Michelin came in. Hey, remember us? (laughs) Yeah. You know what the greatest thing was though? um, So it was almost 10 years to the day that I won the two Michelin stars in Chicago. When they announced that, that Michelin uh, for morning glory. Yeah, it was pretty cool. It was my 40th birthday when we got the two stars. And this year I turned 50 and they announced it again. Awesome. So that was kind of cool. It was kind of neat. And to do it at a breakfast place, because breakfast was my very first job and a kitchen was cooking breakfast. So that was pretty cool. So there was a lot of neat things that kind of tied in this kind of circle of my career. Um, It was pretty neat. Yeah. And you've given hope to breakfast places. All over the world. It is an important meal. (laughs) It is. And it kind of gave us a little more hope too, because we do want to try to be this, for lack of a better word, elevated breakfast place. It's kind of our goal. And, and, you know, and it's, it's a fine line because breakfast is a pretty fast paced burn and turn type of restaurant, you know, and, and, but we want to be a little bit different. We want to do a little less covers and, and do maybe a little more elevated and have some fun with things and cocktails and all the things that we can do. So I think it re-energized us too, um, to kind of really look at what Morning Glory is and how do we get there. Awesome. So how has the, how has the pandemic affected things that you have yet to open, like the, the revamp of neighborhood? And I know there are other projects that you guys haven't really officially talked about yet but I mean is it safe to assume that that everything is delayed or that you've put them on hold for for now well they're still being built um I mean it slowed the building process down for sure excuse me um but they're still you know I think what it's going to do is instead of opening you know the nine restaurants that we just shut down on Sunday we're going to end up adding three more to that that'll be brand (laughs) new because the timing of it all um, but they're still moving, you know, the neighborhood project is still being done. Um, we are actually hoping to open in the end of November, early December was our goal, but obviously we've pushed it back to, you know, next year sometime, um, you know, top of the intercontinental project. Um, 
was coming along pretty quick. Uh, it, it, it'll, it's definitely slowed down because of just restrictions and trying to do business in these times has really slowed the pace down and construction can be pretty slow and especially our places because there's so much detail that go into them. Um, a lot of stuff coming from different parts of the world, you know, fixtures yeah. or whatever have slowed down um obviously so but they're still on track we're still moving forward with them um there's some big projects that we have that you know for us is also hard because we were you know there's money invested into these projects that you know that is kind of tied up and, and stuff like that too so um but they're still moving forward and and we're really excited about them for sure it's, it, they're, they're gonna be some fun projects okay so it's still happening and absolutely you know, yeah uh, you know related to that you're saying you know saying you your spaces are so known for their design, mm-hmm. you know, and it's, and it's everything from these large grand restaurants to, you know, small little intimate places. Has this, has your experience during the, you know, this pandemic affected how you look about what you guys will do in the future and the kind of spaces you'll create? You um, I, I don't think so. Uh, I think we'll continue doing it. I think we're a little you know, crazy at times. I think that makes us who we are. Um, and we kind of go against the norm a lot of times. And I think the norm would be to scale back and be ready for this. But I think our mentality is we're not going to let this scare us. You know, we are going to come through this or somehow we're going to go. History tells us that this stuff happens and the country rebounds and away we go. And and we feel the same way. And I think, though, Candice, where I would go with that answer is we are going to be better operators. That I know. And I think that the one thing that we've learned through this process is we were very fortunate how busy our restaurants were. Most of them overperformed anything we ever dreamed of, mm-hmm. but that made us lazy um, and and covered up a lot of our inefficiencies, you know, our lack of detail when it came to maybe food cost or, you know, liquor costs or some of the costs that, you know, restaurant or businesses have. And I think for me, um, one of the successes we're seeing out of this, and it was something we talked about when we first closed back in, in March, um, was, look, if we're going to survive this, the one thing we want to be is better operators um, in terms of just running a good business. And we have done that. And some of our places during shutdown have performed incredibly well. And with, you know, tighter staffing and paying staff more, we, we did a new program at Ironside where we bumped our cooks up to $20 an hour. Um, and dishwashers, $18 an hour plus tips. And our costs are better there now than ever with adding this added labor. And it's just something we want to change our industry. And we know that our industry is fragile. It always has been fragile and it's even more so now. So how do we change it? How do we become better? How do we make it um, people that more people can be successful financially in our business, not just a server or a bartender who makes a lot of tips. Like how do we look after that kitchen? Um, so doing, you know, with adding that labor, we've looked at our food costs and saying, okay, look, we got to make sure our food cost is X. It can never be more than X because that'll save, you know, a little bit of those costs that we can pass on. To- so I think to me, that's the thing I'm most proud of. And we've seen a huge difference in our kitchens and just in terms of how we're running that or in our operation, and that's what's going to really, I think, for us, will be our next evolution is better operators, you know, more benefits for our employees. And, and we really believe we're going to get to that point once we get through this. That's great. 
Uh, Jason, I just want to real quick here um, ask you about Fortunate Son. I mean, you did open this restaurant in the middle of the pandemic, which is pretty crazy. And, um, you know, not a lot of people can say that they were able to successfully do that. And we know, you know, takeout is the focus, which is pretty lucky, really, in the middle of, you know, what's going on with the pandemic and, and takeout kind of being king. So what was that experience like just to open that in the middle of something like this? I mean, yeah, so it was a bit strategic. You know, we'd had soda and swine in that space for about nine years and it kind of had run its course and, and we had made some mistakes with that location as well. And we're pretty open and honest about the things we do. And we kind of let that one get away from us. And I think that goes back to what I was talking about there with Candace's question about we got a little sloppy and a little lazy and started drinking our own Kool-Aid. And, and soda was one of those casualties because of that. And so but we love the space, you know, we have Polite next door, so we needed to have something there because that marriage was always so great. Polite was still continues to be very successful. We're very fortunate. And we always had this dream and, and a lot of things that we do is we always kind of want to tell a story, you know, about it. And the more research we did into Chinese American food and what that meant and how that came about in American history is pretty fascinating. And a lot of people don't know the story that a lot of Chinese Americans were, were you're not allowed to work in any other industry. So they opened these chop suey homes and they really were some of the first restaurants in American history in a lot of ways, you know? And so we wanted to tell a little bit of that story. And we really felt that through, you know, their oppression that, you know, the Chinese Americans that they were able to build these amazing restaurants that we all love now. And so we kind of thought through these hard times, what a way to pay respect to that and kind of do the same thing. And, you know, it was strategic that, if things did shut down again, we would have a restaurant that was pretty to go heavy already. And so that helped a lot. And it, it was that it's, you know, it's a small space inside. There's only about 30 seats, you know, so it really is reliant on to go food. Um, and it's been pretty crazy. And, you know, we had, you know, a young Chinese American, you know, chef that worked for us at Underbelly North Park, you know, whose parents both work in Chinese American restaurants and his dream was always to, to be a part of that. So we said, look, we have this story. We have this chef. Let's give it a go. Um, but it was hard. And, you know, and, and it, it's everything we do is never easy, you know, and we pick concepts. And for me, people ask me, you know, all the time, like, what's the hardest thing about what you do in your group? It's because we do a different concept every time. And, you know, I'm a classically French trained chef. So that is my, my safety net. But, you know, we do everything in between now. And I think this was just another level of cooking with the walks and understanding of just the flavors that a lot of our young cooks don't understand those flavors. So when you taste with them, they don't know if it's good or bad because they've never really been a part of that. So just training their palates alone was the hardest thing we had to do, not only teaching me how to cook in a walk. So it really was a challenge. The first six weeks were just brutal i think i lost 15 pounds um and it but to see it now start to really tick it's it's pretty special and i think that's the neatest thing for me is watching these evolutions of these restaurants we kind of go through these really struggles the first couple months because we're learning so much all the time and then all of a sudden when that day it just clicks and there's just something that happens and then things start to go and i'm really proud of tony our chef there and the team and they just really got it going on and, it, and just to see the food change evolution wise it's it's pretty cool thank you so much for chatting with us it was really interesting and um we're very grateful that you made some time for that so thank, thank you. you thank you thank jason you.
Well, that was some great insight from Jason and uh, definitely a lot to think about there. And we have a few weeks now to see how all this shakes out for San Diego's restaurants and what comes next. Is it 2021 yet? Please. (laughs) Is it 2021? (laughs) Get us there. Seriously. Well, thanks for hanging out with us again. We've covered all of the information we talked about today in our Eater San Diego and NBC7 roundups, which publish every Friday on the scene section of NBC7.com. And you can find those by searching the words Eater San Diego. You can also find everything we talked about today in our podcast show notes article on both NBC7.com and SanDiego.Eater.com. And we have so many stories about the regional stay-at-home order on NBC7.com too, and also how it impacts other businesses in San Diego like retail, gyms, and salons. I'll put a link to those stories inside my show notes um, because really, you know, this order impacts a lot more than just the restaurant industry. We like to focus on that because we know we all love restaurants. But um, yeah, we have all that information on NBC7.com. If you enjoyed our podcast, please subscribe to Scene in San Diego on Apple, Spotify, Google Play, or Stitcher, wherever you enjoy listening to podcasts. We'll talk again soon.